Hey everybody, Nick Espinosa, your chief security fanatic here, and today we got to talk about the news because news is collapsing on social media. Now, if you're a regular listener or follower of mine, you probably heard uh, yesterday's video, last week's uh, yesterday's video or audio uh, on this this subject when it came to disinformation in right now the conflict between the Israelis and Hamas and all of that, and how can we trust, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this is the other side of the coin, and where I basically um, got to thinking due to a TechCrunch article yesterday, uh, Charlie Warzel of The Atlantic basically had a great analysis of the other side of this coin. Social media is particularly how we've been getting, we've been getting our news for years, and that's changing. It's not necessarily good. Now, here's what's going on, and I'm going to be cribbing again from his article, Charlie Warzel's article, uh, quite a bit, but I'll definitely be injecting my own thoughts into this because last week, the Pew Research Center published a new study showing that fewer adults on average said that they regularly followed the news in 2021 or 2022 more than any other year that Pew has been doing this survey, and they've been doing this survey and asking this question since 2016. Now, there's some shakiness when you break down the demographics, but overall, 38% of American adults are following the news closely. That's 38% versus 52% in 2018. So just five years ago, we were 14% higher there. And quite frankly, just in my opinion... It's been exhausting. It really has been. You know, I don't care what you what you think about politics or, you know, the presidents we've had. It has just been exhausting trying to keep up with all of that, not to mention wars and everything else. And for the record, this, according to Mr. Warzel, tracks as well, because in 2022, Axio compiled data from different web traffic monitoring companies that showed that news consumption took a quote-unquote nosedive after 2020. And despite the events of January 6, 2021, the war in Ukraine and other major events, engagement across all news media sites, news apps, cable news, and social media has simply been in decline. Now, the struggles of legacy news organizations, meaning those that have been consistently there, they have no simple explanation. Now, I will say this, just as somebody, full disclosure, I mean, I sit on the Forbes Tech Council, therefore I publish through Forbes, I write for Smirconish to CNN and some other publications. What I think really separates a good news organization from bad, whether they have one reader or 100 billion readers, is essentially the vetting process. Nothing is absolutely perfect, uh, you know, but you do your best you can. You go through an outlet of you go through a gauntlet of editors to make sure that what you're putting out there is one not just going to get them sued, but is as accurate as humanly possible. But trust in the media has fallen sharply in the past two decades, and especially the past several years. And a lot of the research shows that it's more on the Republican side than it is on the Democrat side. But quite frankly, and Mr. Warzel didn't make this point from everything that I've read, it's honestly both. Although there is this big drive on the right at the moment. This is not getting political. This is simply what the data is saying. Now, some of this is obviously self-inflicted, as I just mentioned. It could be the result of news organizations getting stories simply wrong, which is why I mentioned that gauntlet of editors, and the fact that these mistakes are more visible because, again, they're being blasted out all over the place and therefore subject to both legitimate and bad faith criticism more than ever before. I can't tell you how many times I've gone down Twitter and I've seen something completely taken out of context uh, by like a secondary news source, meaning something gets published, one bit of fact is taken from there, spinned in some way, shape or form on whatever side of the political spectrum is there. And then everybody lines up and says, see, see, I knew it, I knew it. And it's like, well, that was widely taken out of context in the same way that you can say, oh, I have a 500% increase, you know, in XYZ in my life. Well, without the context of, of where that number comes from and what the previous number was, 
500% could be, okay, I just, I just got a couple more things as opposed to millions more. So it's obviously a huge thing. Now, a great deal of the blame, though, also comes from efforts to delegitimize mainstream media, those that are trying to run through gauntlets and fact checkers. Local news outlets have basically died a slow death due to hedge funds that have been consolidating them. There's also a generational shift that's at play here as well. Millions of younger people look at influencers, and you know my stance on influencers and creators on Instagram and all of that, and TikTok, and, and, and basically they're also following podcast hosts, and they're considering them trusted. What does that speak to outside of the article? Confirmation bias. Is that, oh, I'm listening to, I don't care who it is, Rachel Maddow, Joe Rogan, take your pick, whatever it is, and you're listening to this person, and you're like, I, this person is likable, or whatever they're saying is eye-opening, and maybe you're not getting the full context. Maybe you're not getting everything. Maybe they didn't understand, and they don't have a history degree, or a logic degree, or go to journalism school, and now they're acting like they did, and they're not vetting their sources, and I think that is something that is that is very difficult. I do my best that I can to make sure that as I'm writing for any publication that I am basically bringing a lot of primary sources and getting the proper context of that information. If not, usually the gauntlet of editors will call me out on it, which is exactly why they're there. Now, in these contexts, consumer trust is not necessarily based on the quality of reporting or the prestige and history of the brand, but on basically that strong parasocial relationship. Now, you can see also how the public opinion has shifted in surveys that were covering the 2010s and 2014, which were clearly, and as, as Mr. Warsaw puts it, squarely in the halcyon days of social media news, 75% of adults surveyed by Pew said that the internet and social media helped them to feel more informed about national news. But by 2020, that conventional wisdom had shifted. That year, Pew surveyed more than 10,000 people and found that, quote, U.S. adults who mainly get their political views through social media tend to be less engaged with the news, end quote. Interestingly enough, and notably less knowledgeable, though, about current events and politics. When you get stuck into a confirmation bias bubble, whatever that bubble is, you're missing critical facts. It's so unbelievably important to look at all objective sides, especially on something that is critical. I'm not talking about controversial issues like abortion and death penalty, where you should read both sides. I'm talking about the news of the day. I made this point in my video slash podcast yesterday, specifically about this, to make sure that that as you are looking at something, don't trust one source. And if you're pro-Palestine, don't just look at Palestinian sources. Say what the Israelis are saying and vice versa if you support the Israelis and the Palestinians. I don't care what side of the conflict you're on. The point is, is to get as accurate as possible information, which is why I'm doing this video because this is the dovetail to that one. And so for the next few years in terms of that research, after 2013 to 2014, publishers were basically chasing a high because Facebook essentially, you know, per the article, turned on a spigot of social media news platforms and basically was just dumping that out. Now that has changed. Changed, and he makes that point, and I'm not going to go into that. That you know, the Facebook, uh, uh, the Facebooks of the world, cut off news sources from delivering news uh, due to basically governments trying to get them to meter and charge, uh, you know, or have Facebook charged for that. So they just cut off the entire country of Australia. Now they're going that, doing that with Canada as well. Now, more people clicking on their links basically meant more ads served, which in turn meant 
a healthier business, more robust business. Organizations then adopted social media strategies designed to promote and package stories in ways that were algorithmically pleasing and easily digestible to people that were casually scrolling on their phones or doom scrolling. And that's where you've got a lot of clickbait articles uh, basically coming from. And that's the point he makes. There was a proliferation of clickbait and upworthy style curiosity gap headlines as opposed to actually getting to the news. And that is something that I experimented with when I first started on this. In that era, as I started doing these videos and podcasts and all that, even before I had a radio show, was I would say something there and then half the people would call me out on it. And it's like, you know, that's not who I want to be. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to pull you in with some like snarky whatever. I'm trying to basically foster interesting discussion and logic here. Now, some of the strategies were cynical attempts at going viral, obviously, but most of them were earnest attempts just to reach people through the immense distribution that social media offered. When you've got a target of three, four billion and you're reaching 10 million of that, you want the other 2.999 billion, right? So news cycles, by virtue of this, though, also became quicker. And this is one of the issues. Although social media uh, basically allowed new voices to enter the conversation, the centrality of those platforms also creating a hurting effect around coverage and their algorithms obviously would prioritize what they prioritize for profit. Again, off a tangent from the article, news would be reported, takes would be published about that news, and all basically of this was distributed through social networks where journalists could easily track metrics to see what was performing and then tweak future coverage. Oh, that title didn't work. This didn't work. Maybe people aren't interested in this, so maybe I abandoned this even though it's an important story. I'm not sure. But, but that could have been the logic of many prominent journalists at the time just, just subconsciously saying, I need more clicks, I need more likes, therefore I can continue to have a job. Now, Twitter, in particular, became a de facto assignment editor for newsrooms, which kicked off races between publications that bestowed outside importance on niche online drama. That, again, is, is from the article, and I think he's 100%, just 100% correct. The platform helped turn certain journalists into online influencers themselves, kind of micro-celebrities, and obviously brought some news gathering process into the open as well. But humanizing journalists and by humanizing them, these platforms also open them up to attacks and harassment. That is something that we have seen just absolutely explode in the last few years, especially as they are reporting on politics. Traditional news organizations encourage their reporters to use social media to promote their work, but essentially bristled when those same reporters started airing personal opinions. And in politics, an interesting, strange, and cyclical relationship emerged. And there's a really good example of this, and I'm guessing you can bet who that is. Social media algorithms designed for viral advertising and engagement gave a natural advantage to basically the most shameless politicians. Now, all shameless, all politicians are shameless to some degree, but Donald Trump clearly is. I mean, he he puts it all out there. I don't care if you love or hate the guy, you've got to admit he's an absolute genius at running that kind of game. He's, he's, he's absolutely brilliant at it. Again, you can love him, you can hate him, but that's just the honest truth because his every utterance conjured up the kind of divert, like the divisive engagement that was tailored to trend across these platforms. I've talked in the past about how um, Facebook's social media algorithms and Francis Haugen, the whistleblower, essentially proved it through internal documentation uh, that they would prioritize the most angry screeds and all of that. And if Donald Trump was on Twitter tweeting about something in a very angry manner, it would absolutely blow up. Not to mention the fact that he had tens of millions of followers on Twitter. So 
he was pretty much guaranteed an audience no matter what, but they would prioritize his traffic because it was one, news, but two, it was profitable for them as well. That's not necessarily a good thing. And again, that has nothing to do with Trump. He's just an excellent example of that because the former president was a prolific social media user. He, he knew how to use it well. Now, Trump's prominence across social media didn't just help him win fans and raise money. It also justified more traditional media coverage. Even now, he's got Truth Social, which has, what, like a few million followers on it, his most ardent fans. Basically, they're, he, they're covering his, his tweets off that, which I believe are called Truths. By the logic of social media, Trump's popularity made him newsworthy, which in turn made him more popular, which in turn made him more newsworthy. And I think that is something that is really important. If you know how to play that game for, for fun and profit, you can do that. It's not necessarily the most ethical thing to do, though. Why would you want to stir up a hornet's nest or, hornet's nest or, 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 or be divisive to the point where people are getting death threats? And that's one of the big problems that I think we are seeing today. And I don't place that blame squarely on Donald Trump or any other politician or anybody person out there. But I feel like it's a concert of everything working together and these algorithms pushing this that, that made it this way. And that is not good. And that is not healthy for any society. So that's a huge problem. Now, that said, I'm going to quote Charlie Warzel here directly, not injecting my stuff, uh, basically. And I'm going to give him the last word because, quite frankly, it's a great article in The Atlantic that you should go, uh, go read about the death of news and social media and, and it, or, or the collapse of news and social media. And I think it's unbelievably important. And I quote Mr. Warzel directly, not just paraphrasing. In a recent New York essay, John Herman suggested that the 2024 presidential campaign might be the first modern election in U.S. in the United States without a minimum viable media to shape broad political narratives. This might not be a bad development, but it's likely to be, at the very least, disorienting and powered by ever more opaque algorithms. And although it is obviously self-serving of me to suggest that a decline in traditional media might have corrosive effects on journalism, our understanding of the world and public discourse, it is worth noting that a creator economy approach to news shifts trust from organizations with standards and practices to individuals with their own sets of incentives and influences. Should this era of informational free-for-all come about, there will be an element of tragedy, or at least irony, to its birth. The frictionless access and prodigious distribution of social media should have been a perfect partner for news, the very type of relationship that might bolster trust in institutions and cultivate a durable shared reality. None of that came to pass. Social media brought out the worst in the news business, and news in turn brought out the worst in a lot of social media. And that is your news of the day. And please like, share, follow me here on Facebook and Twitter at Nick AESP. And please feel free to subscribe to me at YouTube as well. And as always, stay safe, stay online, and please attempt to stay private. Thanks, everybody.